Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, it may not feel like it outside, but hockey season is finally here. The Tampa Bay Lightning hosts the Florida Panthers in their season opener tomorrow night at Emily Arena. And, folks, we've got a real treat for you today. Dave Mishkin, the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning and the radio play-by-play man, is going to join us in just a minute. We'll get you ready for another exciting season. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Verstick. And before we chat with Dave, I want to tell you about a special offer Annie at Continental Wholesale Diamonds wants you to have the best time ever when shopping for diamonds. So for our listeners only, he's offering a limited time 20% off on all jewelry prices. That's right. So whether you seek a statement piece like a gorgeous diamond necklace or maybe you're on a quest to find that perfect engagement ring, Andy will give you his undivided attention. So come into Continental Wholesale Diamonds today and score big with 20% off all your jewelry purchases It's where I shop, Continental Wholesale Diamonds. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. Dave Mishkin joins us now. And, uh, Dave, very exciting time, of course, uh, if you're a Lightning fan, to be a part of that organization with all the success they've had. Uh, I'm I'm wondering, though, for you, um, in in calling the games as you do on radio every year, uh, and this obviously isn't your first year, but what, what is opening day like for you? What is the start of a new season? Well, it's exciting, Rick, certainly. Uh, I think that, you know, my feeling is always a hope, and this is the partisan side of me <laughs> coming out. Sure. But, you know, I want the team to get off to a good start, and 1-0 looks a lot better than 0-1, which is interesting because even in some of the years where the team has kind of big picture gotten off to a bit of a slow start, under John Cooper, they've done very well in that first game. Uh, the first year that he was the head coach for a full season, 13-14, I remember we opened the season in Boston and lost, um, but that obviously was a season in which the Lightning did very well as a whole, and they came back, and it was a three-game road trip to start the season, and we went to Chicago and got that game to overtime. Uh, I believe we won in a shootout and then won in Buffalo. So they, you know, they came home after three games, kind of their head above water and, and had a very good start to that 13-14 season, and I'm spitballing here a little bit. I don't believe they've lost an opener since then. But I always kind of have that feeling going in that, you know, you really want to get that first one in the bank, um, and then you kind of settle into the grind, if you will, of, Mm. you know, six months and, and 81 more games after the first game. And it's not the end of the world if you lose the first game, certainly not. But I think that's always kind of my mindset going in, just to hope that, the team gets off to a good start uh, because making the playoffs, the work you do in October and November goes a long way toward determining whether or not you're going to still be standing in mid-April. And we've seen that time and time again, not only with the Lightning, but with other teams around the league. It's a very hard league. If you are put into catch-up mode in the second half of the season, a hard league to make up ground in in the standings and find your way into the top eight in the conference. So that's why kind of big picture, again, generally speaking, you want to get off to a good start. 
to put yourself in the driver's seat so that other teams are chasing you once the calendar turns. Sure. And, I mean, with the way the season ended last year, of course, making it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, needing to win one more game, Game 6 or Game 7, and then falling short of that, of course, Washington going on uh, to win the Stanley Cup, there's always expectations. I mean, this organization, it seems, is picked now almost every year to go to the Stanley Cup, which is where you want to be. Um, how do you think they will recover or, or bounce back? Is there a hangover effect at all in the way the season ends the previous year? I guess we're going to find out. I mean, look, I think history can can tell us some things, and you can learn from history. Right. But you go back to the 15-16 season. So, okay, Cooper's first full year, 13-14, they make the playoffs kind of unexpectedly, but they go out four straight to Montreal. So I think coming back that there's a real hunger there <laughs> to not yeah. only get back to the playoffs, but win a game. And I think that hunger was represented throughout the regular season. They had a phenomenal regular season. They ended up finishing second in the division, but you know they made the playoffs pretty comfortably and got to the Stanley Cup final. That was the year they lost to Chicago in six games. So let's go to the next season because that's probably a better comparison where you have a mm-hmm. short off season. You're coming in with huge expectations. And in the 15-16 season, the Lightning did not get off to a good start. Again, they won the first game. But kind of generally speaking, they were kind of hovering right on that playoff cut line into December, January. And that was the year that they had two really long streaks. I believe they had a seven-game winning streak and a nine-game winning streak, separate winning streaks. And then there was there was an overtime loss in there. I think it was – quote-unquote unbeaten streak was tied into one of those winning streaks and so that really propelled them into the playoffs and then that was the year they got to the eastern conference final and lost to pittsburgh it was the next year that they were not able to recover from it was actually an okay start it was more the middle of the season that they they really hit a rough patch in the last 30 games of the regular season they went 20 six and four and missed the playoffs by one point. But I'm kind of circling back to your question here, which is I think in both those instances coming off deep playoff runs, the lightning probably didn't handle the early part of the regular season, or at least kind of through December into January as well as they needed to. So I think it's not shocking that last year after missing the playoffs completely, there was laser-like focus from the first game of the regular season, and they just blew the doors off the league in the first half. I mean, they had the best first half in franchise history and did well in the second half. It wasn't as good statistically or points-wise as the first half, but that was going to be hard to match. And then, of course, they had another deep playoff run. So I guess what I'm saying is history has shown us that you do have to, if manufacture is the right word, you have to manufacture that focus and intensity. You can't just say, well, we got to game seven in the conference finals last year. We're just, let's fast forward to game 80 right now. Yeah, And yeah. let's just go back into the playoffs. Like you need to go through the work of the regular season to give yourself a chance to get back to that spot. What I, what I am encouraged by is the fact that most of these players have been through that. They've been through that yeah. process now, and I think mm-hmm. they understand 
what it feels like to miss the playoffs uh, in 16-17. And I think that going into this season, certainly my hope that this group understands that you can't just fast forward to the end of the regular season. You need to do the hard work necessary to put yourself in a position to play for the Stanley Cup. Can't win the Stanley Cup if you don't get into that, you know, group of 16 that, you know, is going to play game 83. And I think the Lightning do understand that because they've been through it a couple of times before having to deal with the short off season and all of the difficulties that come with that. Right, and they know the benefit of a fast start as well, and, and they certainly will want to duplicate that. Yeah. Um, the, the, big, the biggest news of the offseason, and we'll get to the team here in just a second, but um, was Steve Eiserman, um, which surprised a lot of people that he uh, was stepping down as general manager and Julian Breezebois was, was going to take over um, that role. And, uh, you know, Steve will, will still be around, so I don't know. But, but in general, you know Julian very well. Um, I'm wondering, would, would, would this be something that will be – uh, a tangible difference. So, what what sort of impact do you think this might have overall on on the season, at least? Well, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't look into the future. Sure. But I think sure. that the way the team has talked about it is the way I sense it to be as well, which is that it's going to be a very smooth transition because Julian Breesbaugh was right alongside Steve Eiserman over the last eight years. When Steve Eiserman has been the general manager, Julian is very bright. Uh, He's a quick learner. He is relentless in his pursuit of information and and wanting to get better. I mean, I I don't know this firsthand. I'm just basing this on a lot of the reporting that I've I've read. So kudos to your colleagues for, for unearthing a lot of this. But I do know that Julian is a very smart guy, having talked to him. And I think that he has an understanding of what it takes to be successful as an NHL general manager, having worked aside alongside Steve Eiserman. And if there is a lightning way, quote unquote, he has lived that. So I don't really foresee a huge change in terms of how the lightning are going to go about their business. Now, when Steve Eiserman calls somebody on the phone, they know they're talking to Steve Eiserman. Julian is not an NHL Hall of Famer like Steve Eiserman is. And that part of it, I mean, that's just completely beyond me. And, you know, in your experience, you probably have a better read on, you know, like how managers kind of talk to each other in that dynamic. But look, I mean, general managers are in the business to improve their team. And if another team can help them improve their team, I don't think that it matters whether you're talking to Julian Griesbois, Steve Eiserman, or whomever. Uh, and I think that, you know, Julian is certainly very well prepared to uh, to take on the title, um, if not really much of a role change. And I think that he's going to be doing a lot of the same things that he's been doing, maybe a little bit more behind the scenes for the Lightning over the last several years. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about the team, obviously, and um, I'll start with Nikita Kucherov, who I find to be. Of course, he's a superstar in this league now, and that's not a secret. But he signed, you know, uh, an enormous contract, of course, in the off season. And I've seen players kind of you can take it both ways. You know, Nikita a little bit uh, better than certainly I do. Um, but sometimes that can relax a guy, knowing that you know he's made it to uh, to that contract and and he's established uh, from from that standpoint. Or um, a lot of it is expected of those 
you know, to what much is given. So how would you expect uh, uh, Kucherov to, to come back uh, from last season and just um, just where do you see his game going uh, even to another level if that's possible? Well, in terms of his personality, he's extremely driven. So I don't foresee him falling into the category of, you didn't use the word complacent, but I mean, that's basically what you were getting at, that you know, a player is satisfied once he gets the big contract. I don't think that that's in Kucherov's makeup at all. I think that he is a lofty goal setter for himself. And I don't mean, you know, like tangible goals. goals. Like I want to score, you know, this many goals. I think that he, he holds himself to a very high standard. And when he doesn't meet that standard, he gets, he gets upset with himself. I mean, we've seen it on the ice. He's a very, he wears his emotions on his sleeve um, and expects a lot of himself. And he's the sort of person who will want to contract or not, but I think he's the sort of person who, who doesn't change that standard no matter what the situation. The second part of your question, like how can he elevate his game even more? That's a really tough one because his game is already <laughs> right. at a super high level. Um, I know. But I guess it's generally, you know, like it's always about consistency. You know, like you try and like he started last year and he was on fire scoring goals. I don't remember exactly how many goals he scored in October, but it was something like 11 or 12. And it was a crazy pace. That was going to be unreasonable for him to maintain. Mm -hmm. And I don't really remember him going in any sort of sustained dips in scoring. But I think that's probably kind of the baseline. It's not like how many more spectacular plays can Kucherov make? That's not really the metric. It's probably when we're not completely rolling and everything is clicking, let's still be productive. And he's generally done that, but that's probably the way to talk about somebody of his caliber, which is even when it's kind of like the baseball hitter who's in a groove and everything he's hitting is falling in. Like when that Mm -hmm. goes away, which it invariably does, you're still finding a way to be productive. And undoubtedly, that's you know what Kucherov has been able to do, but he wants to maintain that. Uh, and I think that that's probably the best way I could answer the question. I'm not sure if he would answer it any differently. But you know, his game is really complete. You know? <laughs> I mean, he can yeah, score, is. he can pass, he can be creative. You know, he defends hard. Uh, I mean, look, he's the whole package. And that's why he is, put in that category, that very elite upper echelon category of players in the NHL. He's earned it. There, there was this thing, though, uh, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was after maybe game six of, of the Eastern Conference Finals where people were picking up on, like, they didn't think he had good body language or, or, or that sort of thing. Um, was that fair or unfair or just one of those things you're talking about in terms of the pressure he puts on himself? I don't remember seeing that he had bad body language. Uh, and maybe I'm not remembering those reports. What I think was definitely there was a level of frustration team-wide about their performance in game six. So they had an opportunity okay. and they let it slip through their fingers. Okay. And I know that he has talked about that series more recently, looking back on it, and felt that he wanted to do more than what he did. But it's not just him. You know, like, he's not the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, he's no. one player on yeah. the team. And I, I do believe that you win, especially in the playoffs, you win as a team and you lose as a team. So, I don't know. I mean, I, 
I think that he had some good moments in that series. I think like the rest of the lightning, there were points in that series where they struggled and, you know, Washington was able to take it to the lightning for stretches of games in that series. And if you're feeling like the wind is in your face and you can't execute the way that you want to execute, that's frustrating. So, and particularly when you consider that he does hold himself to a very high standard, he wants to win a Stanley cup. They're that close. Like, I think all of that is completely reasonable and understandable, but it's not some sort of, you know, if, if it's being implied that it's some sort of condemnation of him, I don't buy that. I think that, as I said, you know, he wears his emotions on his sleeve and there were points in that series where the lightning were a frustrated bunch. And I think you need right. to give credit to Washington for that. Uh, you know, that's what happens mm-hmm. when two really good teams square off and, you know, one team is able to dictate and do what it wants to do more than the other. And I think that if you were to sum up the difference in that series for a good part of it, the Washington Capitals were able to kind of dictate play and force the Lightning not to play their game. You know, it's almost like a tug of war. You know, which team is going to be able to more so impose its will on the other? And I thought the Capitals just, I mean, they, they played so well in that series, and we saw it in the finals, too. I mean, the finals, the finals is almost a laugher. I mean, they won that thing in five games. And right. Vegas was, I mean, Vegas was rolling going into the final. So I think that, you know, we do need to acknowledge that, you know, there's another team out on the ice and the Capitals hit their stride and they were like that hitter that we were just talking about in baseball. Like everything, they were made contact with everything. They were pinging balls all over the field. Um, yep. They found their, their groove at the perfect time, unfortunately, for the Lightning. Having said that, yeah, well, the Lightning still took three games from them. Um, and actually, I thought if we're going to look back on it, the Lightning played well enough to win game seven. I know people are like, they didn't score a goal in the last two games. And well, where were they? And they, you know, they didn't take advantage of it. And I thought if they play game seven, 10 times, this is my opinion. I think the lightning win that game, probably seven out of 10. I thought that they played very well in that game, but they ran into a little bad puck luck. Uh, the Holpe played really well. I mean, that was one game where they actually were possessing the puck and kind of imposing their will on the Capitals. But, you know, the Caps got the early lead and, um, you know, kind of hung in there. Gord misses an open net. Um, you know, a couple of bounces didn't go the Lightning's way. And then, you know, the Caps are able to pull away later in the game. So the final score looked more lopsided. Um, but frankly, Rick, I thought that that game was a little bit of an outlier game. Uh, as opposed to some of the other games in the series where the puck luck was not on Washington's side. You know, Washington was doing a lot of good things and they weren't quite able to finish, um, you know, at some of the games, the lightning one, for example, I'm, I'm thinking about some stretches in the games in Washington games three and four. I mean, there were points in both of those games where the lightning were really back on their heels and, yep. you know, were kind of able to dodge some bullets and, you know, in both those games, they were able to make, a, you know, key plays at key times to win, which, what, mm-hmm. they earned those wins. I mean, let's not take that away from them. But, again, I go back to that seventh game. I think the Lightning did a lot of good things in game seven, but that's hockey. Sometimes you can do a lot of good things and, and still not get the result. Um, and I thought that, that that particular game was a function of 
like I said, elements that didn't go their way, whether it was bad puck luck or, you know, Holpe made some key saves. They fell behind early on a great shot from Ovechkin. Game six was a different story. Game six was a game in which the Lightning really didn't have a lot of push to Washington to make Washington play tight um, because Washington was in, in jeopardy of playing tight, you know, having to go out losing at home in game six. I thought Washington played a magnificent sixth game. And I think when we talk about frustration, there was some frustration from the Lightning coming out of that sixth game that they didn't do enough to put Washington into an uncomfortable situation and force them to, to play, let's say, from behind or whatever the case, um, facing elimination. We have the benefit of a hindsight, but you mentioned the Las Vegas series. They went on and were dominant. And, and uh, is it easier to, to feel as if, you know, that was Washington's year and they were just better? Well, better is a funny word. You know, I think a lot of people would say that, you know, probably over the years, the Capitals have had maybe as a whole better teams than the one they had last year. Certainly it was proven out based on their regular season success and the points they accumulated. And, you know, I think that they got a little bit of a, a bad rap. Not that I'm going to be an apologist for the Capitals or anything, but, you know, they lost a lot of game seven at home during the stretch when kind of Ovechkin was in his mid to late twenties games. Some of them were really close. Some of them kind of got away from them. I remember they lost a double overtime game to the Rangers and, or a single overtime, maybe in game seven, that was the year the lightning played the Rangers in 2015. I mean, the Capitals were that close so many times and it didn't mean that their teams were terrible. It meant that, for whatever reason, they just weren't able to get over the hump. And it's not as though they were swept in those series either. I mean, they were right in those series. So I think the difference last year was that they found their, they found their stride and they were playing their absolute best hockey at the perfect time. And I'm not sure that you could necessarily say that about some of their other teams that man for man might've been quote unquote better. Um, and again, if we were to look at the odds, you know, like if the 2010 Washington Capitals who won the President's Trophy played last year's Washington Capitals 20 times, probably the 2010 Washington Capitals would win the majority of those games. But that's not how it works. Which team right. is able to find its groove at the perfect time? And I don't think that it's anything you can control. I just think it's one of those things to kind of build towards something and all of a sudden you got the wind at your back and every street light is green and <laughs> you try and hold on to it as long as you can. And they earned it. I'm not saying that it was some sort of, you know, like magic intervention. Um, but you know, we kind of saw that at points from the lightning last year. I remember they went out to California and they looked like nobody could touch them. Yep. And everything was rolling for them. It happens. Um, yeah. and I think it happened last year for the capitals at the perfect time. And you know what? Good for them. Good for their organization. They've been through a lot of heartache um, with really good teams and good for Ovechkin. I mean, I personally feel that, you know, he's been a great ambassador for the game and uh, he played lights out in the playoffs last year, too. So, you know, they certainly earned it. They played really, really well, as we've talked about. Uh, they disposed of some excellent teams, the Lightning included, and they were they were deserving winners of the Cup. Yeah, hard not to feel good for Ovechkin, that's for sure. Um, one guy that's had a lot of heartache in his career and injuries 
uh, is Steven Stamkos. And, he, and we know now that he played through quite a bit even last year. Um, but this is probably as healthy as he's been for some time uh, and, and had an offseason where he was able to do some things. How much better do you think or how much better does he feel? What do you think we can expect from Stamkos now that he's gotten some of these behind him? Well, again, I think he feels good. Uh, this is one of the off seasons where he hasn't had to worry about rehabbing something. I mean, even though his right. knee injury, the knee injury that required surgery and the meniscus because he had the broken leg too. And right. it's sad that we're kind of categorizing his serious injuries and, I know. and, you know, kind of making distinctions between them. But the, the knee injury that, you know, he sustained in November of 2016 that required surgery, that is not an easy injury to, you know, come back from. I mean, it just takes time. And even last summer, you know, he was still in the rehab mode, even though he was skating toward the end of the 2016-17 regular season. And there was talk, you know, would he be able to return and help the Lightning potentially get into the playoffs? The reality was that he was still a ways away. So I'm sure it feels good for him to have an off season where he can just train. Like he's not rehabbing anything. He's not worrying about, you know, having a step back in his rehab, which, you know, you're always kind of weighing that balance. So that part has to feel great for him. I put him kind of in the same category as Kucherov when we talked about Kuch, which is, you know, Stammer is able to do so many really good things. The key is, to make sure that he's able to maintain that at a reasonably consistent level best he can, because I mean, we're, we're talking about a standard that's really hard to maintain. Like it's not like players are scoring a hundred goals in a season where, you know, they're averaging a little over a goal per game. So, you know, it's hard to score in hockey. It's not like stamp and, and Kucherov are going to be popping in three goals every night. So understanding that, you know, if you can maintain a level of consistency, not only statistically speaking, but also in terms of, you know, your play on the ice, all the other things that you're doing, winning face-offs, being up, um, getting scoring chances, putting the other team back on its heels, helping your power play look dangerous. So even if you don't score on the power play, maybe you go to the bench, but, you know, the next line comes out and is able to maintain that momentum and they get a goal. All of that is part and parcel with, you know, playing at a very high level and playing really well. And I think that's probably the best way I can answer the metric for Stamkos, too. He sure. feels good. That's great. He's coming off a very good season. He and Kuch have unbelievable chemistry. But Stammer is capable of playing with players other than Kucherov, too, if John Cooper decides to mix up that dynamic. And I'm sure that that's the standard that, you know, without – actually having him say this to me, but, you know, having heard him talk long enough about kind of what he expects of himself, he too holds himself to a very high standard and wants to, you know, keep the games where he is not making an impact to a very, very small minimum, if, if none at all. Um, that's the standard. So, you know, that's what you're striving for. You may not meet it, but if you can get close, then you're probably going to have a really good season. Hard to believe that uh, that last year was was the first full year as a. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Starter um, by Andres Vasilevsky. And, and I, I think that there was a time, though, uh, Dave, where there was a little dip in the middle of the season where he wasn't quite as sharp, and I'm sure it's hard to maintain what he was doing, uh, which was phenomenal, um, and he had a phenomenal year. Do you think the Lightning learned from that? Will he play as many games, you think, uh, this season? Well, I'll invoke my crystal ball. <laughs> I, I understand answer, I'm asking you to be in charge of the organization here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my hunch is they probably map out the games, I don't know if it's for the full season, but you know, they kind of yeah. map out certainly a couple of weeks in advance who's getting what games. Back right. to back, Louis Domingue is going to get, unless something weird happens, Louis Domingue is going to get one of the two games back to back. That's pretty much how the Lightning have, have handled it over the last sure. several years. Having said that, you know, the Lightning don't have a ton of back to backs this year relative to, to other seasons. I believe there are 12 or 13. That's oh, only, wow. you know, 12 to 13 games for Louis Domingue. And I think that it's safe to say that, you know, he's sure. probably going to get more than that. Having said all of that, if the lightning find themselves scuffling and, you know, we're in late November and they want to make sure that they go on a run and you, know, you may have to, to crumple that plan up and put it and not in the garbage, you know, file it away for a little bit and ride your guy. Um, right. Because, again, you're not going to win the Stanley Cup unless you can get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. And if you are in jeopardy, even in the first half of the season, of kind of slipping out of the mix, and again, I don't. obviously nobody hopes that that happens, but you ask the question, so I'll answer it the best way I can. You know, circumstances can sometimes change the best laid plans. Of course. If the circumstances do not change, does that mean that Vassie is going to play 65 games again this year? I don't know. I thought he played really well in the playoffs last year. Let me put it this way. He was not the reason why the Lightning didn't beat the Washington Capitals in the Eastern Conference Final. Now, it no. is true that toward the end of the regular season, he used the word tired, which is very unusual to hear <laughs> from a hockey player. They, they rare, Even if they feel it, they don't often say it. He was very candid about it. So we can look at this one of two ways. We can say, well, you know, maybe 65 in the regular season was was, you know, more than what he was comfortable with or whatever he had this he had this reaction to it but having said that you know he still played really well in the playoffs and and still was good in the regular season um maybe not as you alluded to at the level that he was in the first half but still better than most other goalies in the league so maybe you say all right well instead of 65 maybe we look at 58 or 57 and give Louis Domingue who played really well for us you know, when we called him up and it, and has looked really good in the preseason too, I might add more games or we say, you know what? It was his first year as a true number one starter. Now he knows what it takes to play 65 games and he is more better equipped to handle it. And I don't have the answer to that, but I think that it could unfold a variety of ways, but that is a conversation for, 
kind of the management and the coaches and way beyond sure. my pay grade. <laughs> so I tried to answer the question best I could. Um, I do think that circumstances could play a role. And I think that there are going to be conversations probably between from John, the goalie coach and Vassy and John Cooper. And they're going to come up with a plan that will give them the best chance for success, both team success and in, in the best interest of Vassy so that he will be able to take them where they want to go, which obviously is, you know, deep into June. One, uh, a couple more things. I, I just, you know, this team is uh, had very few, if any, spots really available to make uh, to make the team. I mean, Chris Kunis is gone. Matthew Joseph, uh, I guess you would consider a, a new face. Um, first of all, how unusual is that? And and that's got to be a, a a big testament to just how good this this hockey team is. And but but there are guys in the minors that you invariably will see throughout the year. So who are some of those players that? that you would anticipate at some point or other that, uh, that we'll get to see uh, with the Lightning during the season? Well, let's keep in mind kind of the Lightning's credo from the time that Jeff Bennett bought the team and Steve Eisenman was brought in as general manager with Julian Brisebois as the assistant general manager. The idea was always that we are going to be a world-class organization. That's kind of the way that you know, the Lightning have described themselves both on and off the ice, but specifically on the ice, if they are going to be an elite team and world-class, they have to have a pipeline where they're drafting and developing well. So even though the team has had great NHL success, it doesn't mean that they know that they can just fall asleep at the switch in terms of drafting and developing. And they've been very circumspect in trading away prospects and draft picks under this era, the Iserman Breezebois era. Now they did make a move last year. They traded Libor Hayek and Brett Howden to get Ryan McDonough. Of course they ended up re-signing McDonough had a year left on his contract, which was this year, plus they re-signed him. But those moves are certainly the exception rather than the rule. So they have accumulated talent mm-hmm. with their with their drafting and they generally like to have these players percolate in the minors and not rush them to the NHL. The one notable exception was Braden Point, who is the only guy, the only guy since Mr. Vinnick bought the team and we've had this organizational philosophy. He's the only player who had AHL eligibility who did not go to the AHL as as a first-year pro. Now, I'm excluding a guy like Jonathan Druin, who his options were NHL or back to junior. So, you know, the back to junior wasn't going to do him any good. But for Braden Point, as a 20-year-old, you know, they might have said, look, we want to send you to the minors so you can hone your game. He forced their hand. Like, he was lights out that preseason and basically forced the Lightning to keep him, at least at the start of the year, and then it turned into – you know, more than a couple of weeks, it turned into a month and then it turned into half the season and then it turned into a full season. And there we are, but he is an outlier. Virtually everybody else who has had AHL eligibility when they turn pro, they go to the AHL. Matthew Joseph is in that group. So while maybe to some people, they might be surprised saying, boy, Matthew Joseph made the team. Where did he come from? You know, he (laughs) led Syracuse in scoring last year. Now, sure. you know, he's on the, the younger side of the curve because he's only had one pro season, but, right. you know, he's still got some seasoning in the minors 
Um, and that is also true for Eric Chernak, who is right up to the end of cuts. That's also true of Alex Volkov. That's also true of Mitchell Stevens. The, the guy they picked up off waivers at the end of the preseason, Danik Martell, that they got from the Flyers, only has four NHL games of experience, but he's played three years in the American Hockey League. So the quote-unquote new players on the Lightning at the start of this season, like Martel and Joseph, are not new to pro hockey. And I think sure. that's very much in line with the way the Lightning do things. They don't bring players up early. They don't bring players up before they are able to handle what is going to be thrown at them at the NHL level. But you are right. There are a lot of players who are knocking on the door and just because you don't start the year on the opening night roster does not mean that, you know, you're banished to some hinterland and <laughs> never to be heard from again. I mean, you know, sure. I, I think that it just means that you're that much closer to getting to the NHL. So who were some of the names? Well, I mentioned Chernak. I thought he had an outstanding mm-hmm. camp. Mitchell Stevens made it to week two. Alex Volkov made it to week two. Uh, I thought right. Boris Kachuk, who is a first year pro. And not surprising that he's a first-year pro, and so he got sent to Syracuse. But he's had two good camps. So he had a really good camp last year and got into some preseason games. And, you know, he was able to find the back of the net. He had three goals and, you know, kind of limited preseason action this year. So those just are a few guys kind of that I'm throwing out off the top of my head. Um, you know, you also have Cal Foot in the mix. But, again, he's a first-year pro So and playing a tough position defense where you know certainly the lightning feel he will benefit from going down to the ahl playing a lot of minutes kind of honing his craft learning the pro game and they certainly you know have cal foot in mind as a guy who's going to contribute to the lightning at the nhl level they took him in the first round but just because that time is not today doesn't mean that that time isn't coming you know at some point down the pike so that's kind of how the Lightning have done things, and I think it's a continuation of that. But if you are a Lightning fan, I think you should feel encouraged that the mindset has never changed from kind of the 2010 draft up until now, which is always kind of digging for, for talent and players that you feel fit your system and then allowing those players to develop at their pace and not bringing them up before they are ready, because that's a recipe for for failure. If you bring a player up too soon, um, you know they're going to have a tough time in the NHL, and that can have a, a longer lasting negative effect. Whereas if you bring a player up when he is ready, and again these things are kind of subjective, and there's no direct line in the sand on it, but when a player is capable of handling what is thrown at him at the NHL level he's much more likely to have success long-term uh, in his career. Hey, Dave, what about some of the second-year players, such as Mikhail Sergachev or Tony Sorelli or Yanni Gord? What do you expect to see from this year as far as improvements and what they can build on their games? Well, if we're kind of following up from, from you know, last year's question, and as I said that, you know, Sergachev was a guy who also had junior eligibility, so it wasn't like last year he was a player that they could send to the minors, but I think that even if he had AHL eligibility, he probably would have made the lightning. And I thought he had a fantastic first season. But, you know, John Tortorello always had a statement. He said, you know, goaltending is the most important position, but defense is the hardest position. 
and he always felt it took in the neighborhood of 300 games in the NHL before a defenseman kind of settled in to not even reaching his level, his eventual level, but reaching a point where the game ceased to be just coming by him really fast. And, you know, he's able to read plays more calmly and confidently. That's a lot. That's a lot of games. Now, not everyone falls into that category, but it just goes to show that, you know, if you make a mistake on a read as a forward, you still have the defense to back you up. If you make a mistake on a read as a defenseman, you're probably giving up a scoring chance, which is why it's such a hard position to play. There's a lot of pressure on defense, particularly young defensemen, to make the right reads in the blink of an eye. Uh, and which is why kind of, you know, reps is really the only solution. <laughs> you have to just go through the paces and learn through experience, you know, kind of where you need to be and when you need to be there. Having said all of that, I thought Sergachev had a phenomenal rookie season. So the key for him is that consistency word again. I think that, you know, he's going to look – for consistency in his game. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, the lightning did not use him necessarily in situations. I mean, they typically against the, the other team's most dangerous players. Sometimes Sergeyev was out there, but more often than not, it would be, you know, Hedman or later McDonough, Strawman. That would kind of be the next step for, for Sergeyev to, to see him being utilized, not only in all situations, but against any potential opponent. Um, you mentioned Sorelli. He is a guy who last year as a first-year pro did start the year in Syracuse, came up in late February, early March, and really had an impact down the stretch. So he's a, I think he's looks stronger this year, which is a little bit funny to say stronger and faster, but I think he looks both to me. He looks stronger and faster. And, you know, let's keep in mind that he's in, you know, 21 years old, 22 years old. Like his body is still growing. Um, and he is growing into a man's body, which will help him as a pro and as an NHLer. But, you know, I read a quote from John Cooper said, and you kind of mentioned this, Rick, about Kucherov with his contract. Coop was talking about Sorelli as a guy who, you know, had an impact last year at the end of the regular season. And in the playoffs, you know, how are you going to come back this year? Are you going to be complacent and satisfied that you made it? Or are you going to be hungrier? And he said, from what I see, you know, Sorelli looks hungrier. And he's just such a smart player, Rick. I mean, like, he does every – they talk about the little things. <laughs> you always hear coaches about talking about the little things. Right. So, you know, scoring a highlight reel goal is not a little thing, but a little thing might be – you know, back-checking hard and disrupting an opposition rush or being in perfect position defensively so that the other team can't find time and space to make a play in your end. Or if you have the puck in the defensive zone, making a little play to get that puck out to the neutral zone to alleviate pressure. Or when you're carrying the puck through center ice, making the right decision to either carry it or if no carry options available, chip it in and go get it. 
It's winning 50-50 battles. It's making a smart play with the puck in the offensive zone so you're not giving up possession and allowing the other team to counter and potentially getting caught on an odd man rush against. These are all parts of the game that Tony Sorelli knows and executes at an incredibly high level. Braden Point is in that category too. So, I mean, like, you look at the young players who are able to jump to the NHL, it's because they make good decisions regularly. And that's kind of what we're talking about when we say, you know, the little plays, or, you know, the little, the little things in the game. Because if you make a mistake with a little thing, it can turn into a big thing. So a lot of times these things don't necessarily make the stat sheet. There's no way to quantify making the right decision, but you know it when you see it. And that's, I think, what Sorelli was able to show. Is he going to be a guy who's going to score 40 goals? That'd be great. But he doesn't need to score 40 goals to be a very effective player for the Tampa Bay Lightning and doing exactly what he's been doing since he's gotten a chance to play at the NHL level. Now, Yanni Gord is a guy who scored 25 goals last year. It'd be great if he could score 25 again. But I think that for him, it's making sure that his motor keeps running at a very high octane level. Uh, That's his game. And if he is not having his motor running at a very high octane level, he is going to be less effective than what he has shown. But I I confess, I've never really seen Gord not play at that level um, with with a level of fearlessness to his game, both in terms of how he skates and how he attacks the net. You know, you look at his 25 goals last year, he scored a couple on slap shots or longer range shots, and he's got a good shot. We've seen that. But I would say maybe 20 of the 25 came from the hash marks in. So he's going to areas close to the net where it's high traffic and it's a lot more will than skill and finding ways to, to get pucks in the net. And, and that summarizes his game and why he has had so much success with the lightning. So for him, I think it's, you know, kind of wash, rinse, repeat, and make sure that, you know, he maintains that. And if he does, you know, there's no reason to believe that he won't have another very successful season. He's Dave Mishkin, the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll have the call with Hall of Famer Phil Esposito beginning uh, tomorrow night when the Lightning open the season by hosting the Florida Panthers. Thanks so much, Dave. This was phenomenal. Appreciate the time. My my pleasure, Rick. Keep up the great work, both uh, in print and uh, keeping Steve Versnick in check. I know that's probably much harder <laughs> than anything else that you do. I was going to ask you what was worse, Esposito or Versnick, but I think I know the answer to that. <laughs> Always great to catch up with uh, Dave Mishkin as the uh, the season begins here. Steve, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, I, I don't know how unusual this is. I've, I've covered some Bucks teams that were like that going back to the Super Bowl years, but there wasn't a lot of roster spots sort of up for grabs. I mean, this is a team who's, whose core is still very young, um, who's uh, largely uh, returning from, from, from last year's Stanley, you know, Eastern Conference final uh, team. So... I mean, obviously, a lot of people are picking them again. I guess this is where you want to be as an organization. You want to be that team that that every year people think you have, if not the best chance, but certainly a chance to get to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, when when Jeff Finnick and Steve Eiserman and Julian Breesbrough started building this team eight years ago, you know, they really kind of built it from the ground up. They made the Eastern Conference Finals that first year, kind of overachieved that year. But then they really mm-hmm. kind of tore it down and built the organization up. And it, and so these last three, four seasons have been fueled by young guys, Kucherov and Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat and, you know, Andre Vasilevsky and, you know, Brayden Point, Yanni Gord. And so you've had a lot of young guys under team control, 
Um, contractually, it's, it's been very beneficial. It's kind of kind of where the Rays are right now is actually what the last few years with the Lightning have been. Now they've got their core locked up into long-term deals from Hedman and Stamkos and Kucherov and Tyler Johnson and Kalorn and Palat and Ryan McDonough that they're going to have to start making decisions kind of after, after this season based on salary cap now. This is kind of the first time they've been there with this. where So they're gonna, you're going to start seeing a lot more young players playing, and, and they got to see what they have in them because they're going to have to make decisions. We know that Strawman and Girardi and Coburn's contracts on the back end are up at the end of this season. Uh, they'll all be unrestricted free agents. Uh, Cedric Paquette, I believe, is going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. And, but they're going to have to start making some moves based on salary caps and letting younger players play. Hence, Matthew Joseph is on the team now. Dave Michigan talked about Mitchell Stevens and Eric Chernak. We'll probably see some time up at, at the big league club this season and others. Um, so it's, you know, but it's a great position to be in because pretty much the entire team is back. And they've been most of this core has been through the last you know four seasons where they've made the Stanley Cup the the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals three years, they've won one of those they lost two of them and then of course the one they won they lost to Chicago in the Stanley Cup but you have to assume you know, it's kind of nice actually and, and and the Lightning is the favorite or presumably the favorite in the Eastern Conference although Toronto added John Tavares to the team. Right. A lot of people talk about Winnipeg still and they've made some changes and upgrades. Nashville's. Defensive cores is phenomenal. Um, San Jose added Eric Carlson. And so there's not a lot of buzz about the Lightning. I mean, there is because they're a favorite and everyone knows it, but they're not, they're not really talked about a lot, it doesn't feel like. It seems like it's how's Tavares going to fit in Toronto and how's that all going to play out. And of course, Toronto's kind of the hockey universe center anyway. The Lightning, they're not flying under the radar because everyone knows how good they are, how talented they are. But there's not the it doesn't feel like all eyes are on them and and granted they get off to a hot start like they did last year it will be like i said everyone knows how dangerous they are but it's kind of nice and, and in the division itself i mean there's really three teams in the division and three three teams make the playoffs from each division guaranteed you know i think toronto's going to be better than last year is there a young team that's growing up kind of like the lightning as well maybe a year or two behind them as far as the growth cycle of players and they added john tavares from the islanders boston's going to be good again and the Lightning, and I think those are going to be your top three teams in the division. The Florida Panthers may challenge for the division. Um, they've got a lot of good young players, and 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 I really love uh, Barkov on their team, uh, who just got the captainship there in, in Florida. But um, they're coming up, and I think they're going to compete for a wild card. They finished one point away from the wild card last year. I think I think they will get a wild card this year. Then you look at the rest of it. I think Montreal is going to be improved, but they're not anywhere close enough to the playoffs yet. Uh, as they're trying to transition more to a speed game and kind of catch up to where Toronto and the Lightning and other teams are. Ottawa and Detroit are a hot mess, particularly Ottawa, I think, is. Detroit's just very young, and now Hedrick Zetterberg has retired. Um, They're going to struggle this year, as Ottawa is too. And Buffalo, I think, is going to be improved. They've got so many young players. They've been drafting so high for years, but they're still not at that level yet. So really, you know, barring the Lightning really not playing well, you know, they should finish top three in the division, which means they'll be in the playoffs. Yeah, every year is different, and, you know, you really can't predict injuries and, and things that happen, um, you know, year to year. But there has been, and Dave alluded to this, as this sort of natural evolution of things, if you will. And, you know, a year ago at this time, they had missed the playoffs, and they, they, they wanted to get off to a really hot start, and that became their laser focus, as you he, as he mentioned and they did just that. And yet I think that'll carry over again this year because they realized how important it was for their run to the Eastern Conference final, you know, a, a season ago. So it's the same group of guys, right? And yet they, you know, 
everybody starts down at the bottom of the mountain. I mean, you cannot assume that, uh, as he mentioned, let's go right back to game seven and see if we can replay that one again. You know, you have to go through all the steps, um, the grind of a full season. And, and hockey is, right, when you get to the second season, I mean, you consider what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. I still think it's the hardest trophy to win in sports. Uh, I know teams are repeated, um, but but physically, mentally, the duration, uh, it's it's a lot like, uh, you know, there's so much attrition throughout the year. Um, and yet, you know, they find themselves in the mix year after year after year. And that's really, to me, that that's a tribute to the organization. And like you said, to Venick, uh, into what Eiserman and Brisebois has done uh, to build this this uh, organization, and it does include the drafting and developing players, and trading for players, and acquiring, you know, uh, those assets, and then and then them coming up and being ready to replace um, guys that move on. So they've done everything right except Steve win a Stanley Cup, <laughs> and I know that uh, I know that'd be a nice piece before Eiserman finally gets out of here. I know he's going to hang around for uh, one more season in some capacity, but uh, well, look, last last year really, they they were up three games to two against Washington in the Eastern Conference Finals. They had their shot, yeah, and and I think yeah. they could have beat Vegas. Um, the year against you know, Pittsburgh, they took them to a seventh game. Yep, and and you know lost in Eastern Conference Finals there against Chicago. Um, you know, we tend to forget the game one, they were leading and should have probably won that game. And they kind of blew that game and went down one, nothing. They came back and took a two, one, two, one in that series though, right? Yeah, they were, but had they won game one, they could have been up three. Oh, that's true. And then it's a total, you know, then at that point, Chicago's got to win four in a row against you. And if you remember, they were up two, one in that series and, and the lightning lost three in a row. And that was the first time all season they had lost three in a row. Um, so, you know, trying to lose four in a row would have been you know, monumental task, you would think. But, you know, you can't change history. And, and you know, look, when it comes to hockey, there's a lot of, you know, puck luck, they call it, and goalies can stand on their head and completely change games. So, you know, the best team doesn't always win. Or, you know, as Dave said, you know, game seven last year against Washington, you know, he thought the Lightning played a better game. They just didn't get the goals. Um, and that happens sometimes in hockey. And, you know, over the course of a seven-game series, I agree with him. I think Washington was the better team over a seven-game series. But the Lightning were right there at three games apiece going into Game 7, and they played a better game, just didn't get the goals. Um, you know, hockey more than, you know, more than any other sport can almost be random. And I think because of, you know, especially in the playoffs, there's so few goals scored, it can tend to be that way, which is what makes it so exciting as well. Absolutely. So on a weekend where there is no Buccaneer football, they have a bye week, still plenty of NFL football, Coast College is in action. Florida hosts LSU. Florida State's at Miami. But uh, the big event in the weekend, of course, is the Tampa Bay Lightning opening the regular season against the Florida Panthers. And then you have to wait five days for game number two. <laughs> I know. It's I don't get that. It's, I don't get Well, the they got to rest up. Yes. they got to gotta rest up after that opener. There's a lot that goes into it. You don't realize. Um, anyway, so enjoy the weekend, everybody. We're here Monday through Friday. We appreciate uh, you guys listening as you have, and uh, this podcast is growing. Make sure you go see my friend Annie at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. You are going to get 20% off just for listening to this podcast on all your jewelry purchases at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.